Promotional consideration paid for by the following. StevieRichardsFitness.com. Join the SRF resistance today. Russo'sBrand.com. Get the real shoot from the most controversial personality in wrestling, Vince Russo. Lethal Vendetta. Hailing from Sydney, Australia, this band comes armed with the ultimate artillery, a precise and highly effective blend of thrash, groove, and traditional metal which pays homage to the great metal titans that have come before them. Check out lethalvendetta.bigcartel.com and download their music on all digital media outlets. The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Monday, October 21st, 2019, and you are tuned into the simulcast of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Simulcast and presented by Hameen Media. And in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking about Eric Bischoff, a whole bunch of New Japan news, Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory, and of course, your setup for the week that is the Wednesday Night Wars and Monday Night Raw. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, and find Hameen Media online, hackerhameen.podbean.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the man who's still wearing a Cincinnati Bengals jacket, the real RBV. Rick, I'm sorry about your luck. It's me, it's me! It said R to the B to the V. Hey, there's no reason to be down because the dream is alive. The Ofer Bowl, it is still in the works. The Dolphins took care of business. The Bengals took care of business. They are set to collide December 22nd. The Ofer Bowl, who is going to claim the shittiest team in the league? There can only be one. So, hey, I, I know you, you know, just before we went on air here, Jarga, you're talking about now that your friends list is, is it's quite a bit of it starting to include the great state of the OHIO. And you, you thought maybe there was some heartbreak that the Bengals, they thought they had that. But let me tell you, you know, I, I've been out there spreading the good word. There's nothing to frown about. Don't be down because this is exactly what we want. Hey, the only the only people I feel bad for in this situation are those poor top prospects in college. Hey, we saw some uh, some excitement on Saturday, but hey, hey, this isn't hashtag HTM Sports. This is them HTM boys here in the HMG in the Monday locker room. Hey, we got a lot to cover. Tons of breaking news. Uh, some really exciting things to get into. One thing we are going to be talking about on HTM Sports this week is the heartbreak of my New York Yankees going down to the Houston assholes in Game 6. Houston going to the World Series, hopefully to get beat by the Washington Nationals. Huckleberry, I'm going to say that Altuve, that was a major heel turn what we saw out of Altuve the other night. You know, in the first inning, when he hit that double, I looked at Carly and I said, you know, Altuve is the boil on the asshole 
of the New York Yankees. Like, there's just something about that dude that is just a Yankee killer, and then he comes up with a walk-off in the bottom of the ninth after we tied it up in the ninth inning. I was pumped, Huckleberry. I woke up the whole house. I was, oh, fuck yeah! Then Altuve had to come along and turn heel and just dash my hopes and dreams. I was so disappointed. Well, you know, we're talking about worrying about individuals, but luckily uh, I spoke with him yesterday. He he has, he is surviving. He is coping with everything here, and that is our boy, Big Ray Hernandez. You know, he him and, him and his Yanks, you know, I, I know they're in your heart, so many, but, you know, with Ray, it's a little different. Uh, it's a little more intimate, but he but he's getting by. So I just, you know, an update there with everybody. Shout out to our friends at the uh, Smack Attack as well as the Wrestling Redneck. Yeah, you'll notice I didn't accuse him of being one of my friends. Uh, Huckleberry, I want to start off this week with the big news of last week. Bruce Pritchard replacing Eric Bischoff as the executive director of Friday Night Smackdown on Fox. When you heard this news, what was your first initial thought? Well, getting into this thing. Now, he's turned this into another project, correct? Uh, now, we, we have a, uh, a shortened, I don't know, special edition podcast coming out, 83 Days. Yeah, even Bischoff popped for that. He even retweeted that. He was like, I, I got to give you props to him. I mean, that, that was I a good one. Say, I said it was in the works there, but yeah, I mean, it, it, when you get easy, you either pop there. And, and I guess, have we gotten any hard details on this thing? I know William Alice is trying to, you know, he's been all over this thing with bits and pieces here. Uh, it just really seems like, you know, maybe both sides weren't fully committed to one another here. Um, I have had some conversations behind the scenes, uh, most of which I do not feel comfortable talking about at this time. Um, but it, the impression that I am getting is when those ratings came out, and they saw that they lost a million viewers. This was exactly what we talked about at the time of the Bischoff hiring. He was hired so Vince could fire him again. Well, absolutely. And, you know, this just, you know, wasn't something that we had speculated on. This, this was something from the individuals that had been there in the know, going back to a conversation that you would hear it over on the brand or good friends are with Mr. Russo and, and Stevie and, and Mr. Russo and, you know, a little bit of, you know, as close as Ben had, had been able to get to the situation, uh, they had kind of called this. I mean, these guys were going to be fall guys. And I don't think any of us expected it to be this soon, just not even a month into the Fox tenure, this run with the with the big network. I don't think anyone saw it coming this soon, but we did see that eventually this was going to happen. Uh, all indications are that Mr. Bischoff was just not engaged in what is going on. And other accounts I have heard was he had no reason to be engaged as to what was going on. Um, As we have all known, this is still Vince McMahon's creative vision. Uh, Eric Bischoff was brought in to kind of be that go-between between Fox and the WWE well, you know, it, we've launched the show on Fox now. Uh, what you see is what you're going to get, and they needed a fall guy. They needed to uh, prove to network executives that, you know, much like we commented on the uh, locker room a couple of weeks ago with Ring of Honor, that, you know, if this was a sports team, general managers' heads would be rolling, head coaches' heads would be rolling, and this is basically what happened with Eric Bischoff from everything I've been able to gather at this point. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really, 
it's kind of disheartening uh, to you know to see someone like Bischoff be put in this position and, and kind of used this way. But you know, yeah, he absolutely knew what he was getting into here. Yeah. Uh, he's probably going to get a very nice payday on the way out the door. He set it up. He you know in his own right, he knew the situation, so he manipulated the system himself. Uh, so you know for that there. And I think, you know, overall, you know, people want to get all excited. And again, this is one of those sleight of hand moves. Let's get people talking about the, the shakeup in management. Uh, you know, people are going to be, you know, pro or anti Bishop on this thing. They're going to feel that same. You know, you're going to get those two same sides when it comes to Pritchard coming in here. Uh, but ultimately, as you said, this falls on Vince. And they have bigger issues to worry about than who the liaison is between WWE and the network. Uh, because, hey, these numbers are dropping, and they are dropping fast, and, and it's really at an extremely alarming rate. Uh, they've got to get something right here. You know, going back to week one, they didn't do anything that opening week to you know for a viewer to say, RBV, come back. And believe me, I, I, I haven't been back. I, I just go back and watch those highlights of what I need to get, uh, get the big topics, you know, what we're going to talk about, our, our talking points. Uh, but outside of that, they've done nothing. And it's not like that I'm doing anything overly exciting on a Friday night. I just don't want to include the SmackDown in that. Uh, Bruce Prichard returning to be the executive director of SmackDown Live. Do you think anything changes now? Because I don't. Uh, I, I think you probably, you're going to have someone that's probably much more pro WWE as you're dealing with the networks there. Uh, and, and it's probably going to be more open those lines of communication. I think he's going to be more involved into it because I, I, I do believe that something, you know, being seen in a positive light inside of WWE with the company is something that's much more important to Bruce Pritchard than it will ever or ever has been to Eric Bischoff. That's a valid point. Well, let's uh, now that we're removed from the draft, it's it's kind of in the rearview mirror. We saw the first episode of SmackDown on Fox tonight. We're going to get our first look at what this Monday Night Raw roster is going to look like. I've seen a lot of people talking about, well, where did so-and-so go? Uh, like Sheamus, for example. Well, I have all that information for everybody. I went through the roster. I made up a spreadsheet because that's what I do, as Mark Henry would say. Here is your SmackDown men's singles roster. Ali, Apollo Crews, Big Show, Braun Strowman, Bray Wyatt, Brock Lesnar, Cesaro, Daniel Bryan, Drew Gulak, Elias, Heath Slater, Jeff Hardy, Kane, King Fuckface, Kofi Kingston, Lars Sullivan, Luke Harper, Matt Hardy, Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn, Sheamus, Shinsuke Nakamura, Shorty G, and The Miz. Rick, very much like we talked about last week on this show when we just had the SmackDown draft, it looked like all the big characters were going to SmackDown, and it looked like Raw was going to become the work rate show. And what was done on Monday Night Raw last week, and now actually seeing how these rosters lay out, I think that's absolutely the case. Yeah, and you know, the months of speculation where we had heard that, that Fox wanted this more sports-like presentation uh, where, you know, that's where the workers were going to go. It was going to be more of a traditional SmackDown, you know, going back to the glory days of the program, of the brand. And, and Raw would be that, that sports entertainment, the, you know, the, the true to Vince McMahon's vision of professional wrestling. 
And I think having a different dynamic, and it looks like we still might get that, having that different dynamic would have been good for both brands. It's going to present something different for everyone. Uh, but it seems as if they, they've kind of flipped the script here. Uh, but, you know, I'd mentioned last week, it was either over at, you know, Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast or, or in the locker room here that maybe it, this is what they always intended. We just had the wrong interpretation of what a, a legit sports presentation would look like. In our minds, yes, it's athleticism. It's people that, you know, have uh, some sort of a background in martial arts or uh, amateur style wrestling or another professional sport. But, you know, it could have just been in Vince's eyes. It's all about cosmetics and appearance. So when you do have a Roman Reigns, a Braun Strowman, they look like professional athletes when they're doing the crossover work, as you had mentioned, you know, last week in the conversation, when, when they're sending someone to go stand on a sideline at a football game, Roman Reigns looks like he belongs there. Uh, not necessarily the case with an AJ Styles. We're not trying to knock him in any way. He's an incredible athlete. But when you line him up there, uh, you know, against you know some defensive linemen, some linebackers, whatever it might be, uh, whatever the case, guys like Roman and Braun look like they belong there. Brock Lesnar, obviously, I mean, he is the, the blueprint for a professional athlete. By comparison, when you look at the Monday Night Raw men's roster, AJ Styles, Akira Tozawa, Aleister Black, Andrade, Bobby Lashley, Buddy Murphy, Cedric Alexander, Drew McIntyre, EC3, Eric Young, Eric Rowan, Humberto Carrillo, Jinder Mahal, Kevin Owens, Mojo Rowley, No Way Jose, R-Truth, Randy Orton, Rey Mysterio, Ricochet, Rusev, Samoa Joe, Seth Rollins, Shelton Benjamin, Sin Cara, and Titus O'Neil. Um, I, I find it absolutely insane to say that the Worker Show is going to fe- feature guys like Jinder Mahal, No Way Jose, and Titus O'Neil, but that absolutely looks to be the case to me, at least on the upper half of this roster. Well, and, and you know, as, as we kind of just laid out there and speculating maybe what Vince sees in sports entertainment, a few of those names, you know, like a Titus O'Neil. Uh, even a Ginger Mahal, Randy Orton, they have that look of a pro athlete. Thinking about maybe why they didn't go to SmackDown in the cases of, you know, Titus and Ginger Mahal, they can be hidden on Raw. You don't have to use them as much. Hour you, three. A deep, you have a deeper roster. Uh, so you don't have to depend on them where you would need them right, you know, more regularly on SmackDown. And not for the same reasons of, of being able to hide them. Randy Orton falls into that category because we know he wants a lighter schedule uh, with this expanded Raw roster. I mean, what, they're a, a third the size or, you know, a more. You know, it's funny. It's funny that you say that because the Raw men's roster only has two more talents than the SmackDown roster. Well, I mean, you have to take into, you know, your tag teams and your women there. Yeah, so but women, they're exactly equal. And SmackDown actually has one more tag team than Monday Night Raw. Very interesting. Yeah, Very I, interesting. I thought that was fascinating. Just kind of the way it laid out. Like they really loaded up SmackDown with a lot of that undercard talent. Well, and, and I think, too, it's you, you do see a lot of the, the some of the bigger names on SmackDown. You know, as we've been pushed here, you got you got Bray, you got Roman, you've got Brian, you've got Braun. You know, Randy might just be over there. Hey, you know what? We need we need a star over here, and we, you and I talk regularly about this. You know, people want to try you know to debate us on this. It, no, it's fact. We go to these house shows. Look at these pops. 
these live events for Randy Orton. I mean, he is still, I mean, he's one of the most over in the company. He's one of the true few stars that they have. There's two stars on Monday Night Raw right now. Uh, guys that I would actually call stars, and it's Randy Orton and Rey Mysterio. Absolutely. Uh, and you're going to need those guys to sell your live event tickets. The women's division on SmackDown, Alexa Bliss, Bailey, Carmella, Dana Brooke, Ember Moon, Lacey Evans, who seemingly has been turned babyface, which is absolutely freaking hilarious to me. Mandy Rose, Mickey James, Nikki Cross, Sasha Banks, Sonya Deville, and Tamina on Raw, Asuka, Becky Lynch, Billy Kay, Charlotte Flair, Liv Morgan, Naomi, Natalia, Nia Jax, Peyton Royce, Ruby Riot, Sarah Logan, and Zelina Vega. So it seems like even the tag teams inside of the women's division are pretty evenly split. As far as the women's rosters go, I think Raw has a little bit of an advantage, but that's only because they have Becky and Charlotte on the show. Uh, absolutely. It, but and I do want to speak to this thing with Lacey Evans. I, the baby dynamic does not work with this character it's, whatsoever. It's and the same thing as Charlotte. She's too big. She's too alpha to be fighting from underneath as a baby face. It just does not work. Well, and then, and then how this came about, I mean, this comes out of nowhere simply because she had earned the respect of Natalia, who just asked her to become a tag team partner, and she accepts here, and this essentially is what does this. I mean, if, if you're going to eventually, and everyone has to go through transition and evolve, but wouldn't you try to invest in something and tell a grander story of like where her military background is bringing out some kind of sense of like patriotism and pride in her, and you get this evolution where she finally, you know, you bring her along, you progress a program where it comes full circle and she embraces that. And now she understands, you know what, maybe I have been so snobbish. I'm sorry. I need to get back to my roots, my training, what I was meant to do. You know, I, I went out there and to protect you people. And now I need to respect you people. But now we just get this out of nowhere because of this damn shakeup and they don't like the way things are aligned. It's the I mean, Charlotte baby face it, turn. They did this it, to Charlotte during the shakeup last what was that last spring? I guess it was when they shipped her from raw to SmackDown and she just magically turned babyface in the transition. Absolutely. I mean, it, it just, it doesn't make sense. And then no one bought into it. And that was really, you know, where you started to see her begin to struggle. And it, it, it in their mind, they're like, Hey, we got to get her out on the campaign trail. She's going to be one of our talking heads. She's a, she's a brand investor. That's great. You want that name out there. She looks like a million bucks. I mean, like an athlete, you know, like someone that would, you expect to be a professional wrestler, uh, but have it make sense so that we can get invested and we care about it instead of you just forcing it on it. Like you're just flipping a light switch and oh, they'll, they'll take to it. They'll be fine. Did they do it again? I mean, with, with her going from SmackDown to Raw, did they magically turn her heel? Well, we got that in the, when they were battling it out for that draft pick. That's what I'm you know, saying. You, like, it, it is like SmackDown Charlotte is a baby face and Raw Charlotte is a heel. Is that like the WWE logic here? In the different multiverses. Yeah. You know, it's just, it makes absolutely no sense to me. Hey, you know what, you know, in that, in that circumstance though, uh, I was glad to see that because when they, when they started trying to like blur those lines with her and Becky there, and it was just like, please don't do this again. This is not going to work for her. Get her back on track. She is the alpha. You need her in the best possible position. 
And you know, she came out, I just want my friend back. You know, you're kind of like, oh, it just sucked air out of the room. And then boom, I loved it. Loved when she popped back. We are going to be so sick of that program in about three months. The tag team division on SmackDown Live is, like I said, actually a little bit deeper than Raw, but I had to work to get there. The B team, the Revival, Rudolph, the Colognes, Lucha House Party, the New Day, Heavy Machinery, and then the two that I was kind of reaching for, both Matt and Jeff Hardy are listed on the SmackDown roster, so you do have the Hardy Boys, as well as both Sheamus and Cesaro are on the SmackDown roster, so technically the bar is back and open for business. I mean, we never saw the bar break up, it was just Cesaro went solo because Sheamus was injured, so it would be absolutely nothing for them to put the bar back together, and then you add them in, you know, with the Revival, Rudolph, The New Day, Heavy Machinery, and The Bar, that's about the deepest tag team division that WWE has had in a very long time. Uh, it, it, let's just hope that they utilize it. I mean, you let, you listed some tremendous talent there, you know, top to bottom, from you know who should be your contenders to who's going to build them up. I mean, we could see some tremendous tag team action. Uh, but let's, let's hope. Uh, but I'm not going to hold my breath. I feel the same way about the Raw Tag Team Division, the Authors of Pain, the Street Profits, the Major Brothers, the Viking Raiders, the Usos, the Good Brothers, and the Ascension, the Poor Ascension, still employed by Monday Night Raw for one reason or another. But AOP, Street Profits, Viking Raiders, and Usos, I realize that's only four teams, and it only gives you so many pairings, but those are really good pairings. Like I would love to see AOP and the Street Profits. Yeah, I think, you know, that would be a, a tremendous program. Do you think we're, that sooner than later we're going to be getting the AOP and the, and the Raiders? I, I think that's got to be the eventual payoff, right? Those four big hosses just beating the snot out of one another? Well, I mean, is, is this a program? For whatever reason, I mean, it wasn't like just straight out there, but I get the sense that's where they're going with now. Uh, you know, I'm waiting at any time for AOP to go on the attack. Well, uh, to, I'm guessing know, they go through somebody first. You know, so like maybe you get AOP versus the Street Profits or AOP versus the Good Brothers, AOP versus the Usos. They go through them and then they get to the Viking Raiders. Viking Raiders, same thing. You know, you match them up with the Street Profits so they get a title defense out of it or the Usos. I'd love to see that match up. The Good Brothers, even though the Good Brothers aren't really the Good Brothers. Yeah, you know, they're going to be at the bottom of the pecking order here. Uh, and just you just really hope that it doesn't really bring AJ down. Yeah, that, that's got to be the fear and all of that. And we're going to start seeing that tonight on Monday Night Raw. Um, let's talk a little bit about SmackDown, uh, because SmackDown is not going to be on Fox this week. SmackDown is going to be on FS1 uh, because of that stupid series between the Houston assholes and the Washington nationals. Uh, so SmackDown on FS one, Rick, we've already seen them lose about a million and a half viewers. How many viewers do you think they have next week with it? Show moving to FS one. Well, you know, I'm If I'm WWE, if I'm sitting in, in meetings this week and we're talking about SmackDown and we're, we're kind of, we're starting to sweat a little bit looking at these numbers. Uh, I'm actually looking at this as a blessing. Uh, this is an out. It, you you have something that you can look at. Okay, we're getting moved. We know we're going to get a, a crazy drop in numbers. 
Uh, not just because you know it's going to be a little bit confusing that you're you're moving channels at that you're out of your certain time. You're going to cable instead of the open air network. You're going to be up against the World Series on your own, you know, family of channels. But you got that move, so you know you're getting a huge drop. So that gives you one out. Then you get the next out of okay. When we go back to our time slot, we're, we're going to need some time to get our viewers back because you took us away from that. So that kind of gives you two weeks to try to, you know, to write this ship. Uh, three, really, if you because then then you got to get back on track and that you know that third show from now. Uh, that's when that network network's going to start coming back down on you. The problem is this is the go home show as far as SmackDown is concerned for Crown Jewel. Because Crown Jewel, I want to say, is on Thursday and then SmackDown Live on Friday. So they loaded up this show, Huckleberry. It's, they're going to have Brock Lesnar in the house. They're going to have Cain Velasquez in the house. Hulk Hogan and his team is going to be there. Roman Reigns, Rusev, Shorty G, Ali, and Ricochet. Ric Flair is going to be there with his team. Randy Orton, King Fuckface, Shinsuke Nakamura, Bobby Lashley, and question mark. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about who that question mark could be a little bit later in the show when we preview Monday Night Raw. And I'm wondering if they're going to do Nikki Cross versus Bailey next week because that match obviously not happening at Crown Jewel. I can't imagine that they're going to hold that thing off until Survivor Series. So maybe we get that women's championship match that Nikki Cross qualified for last week in that six pack challenge. Uh, yeah, I, well, could you hold off on that as well till uh, till the following, the SmackDown following Crown Jewel, because you're going to have some of your big guns not available. Uh, I know they are going to try to hold some of those individuals off of the Saudi show, but we know that there are quite a few of those big names heading over there. You're going to need you're going to need to retain something to try to sell that that follow up show. Uh, so obviously the ladies won't be there. You keep that match until following Crown Jewel as your kind of marquee for that show. Yeah, you absolutely could. I mean, that would make the most sense. You do like a contract signing or something like that this week. And then next week, Oh God, hopefully not next week. You can do that. Uh, well, you know how much they love to do contract what, signings. What kind of number, you know, as we're talking about this move to FS one, what do you think would be, We'll go both sides here. What would be a positive and what would be an absolute disaster? What I am hearing in the TV world is the number that SmackDown wants is 1.7, which is basically where they were on USA Network. If they can hit 1.7, they'll be fairly happy. I think if they do 2 million, they'll be freaking ecstatic. If What would you say on the disappointment end? I mean, would it just be anything if you get – if your move back to cable gets beat by AEW, I mean that's gotta be a, that's gotta hurt. That's a real possibility. That's a real possibility. I mean that first week, if you include the replay and everything, AEW had one point eight. You know, if they're looking at that one point seven number, that's a very real possibility. I mean, and we we do have a uh, a very nice AEW show lined up for this week. Yep, we'll talk about that here in just a little bit as well. Uh, first, we got to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, and I'm pretty sure the AEW name will come up inside of this conversation. Uh, two things to talk about. Uh, number one, Stardom 
Stardom has been purchased by Bushi Road. This is not a purchase by New Japan Pro Wrestling, even though it seems that that narrative is flying around that New Japan bought Stardom. That's not what happened. The parent company of New Japan Pro Wrestling has bought Stardom. Uh, in fact, they're not even going to be underneath of the same umbrella. Uh Stardom is going underneath what is now known as Knockout. It's a kickboxing affiliation that is going to be rebranded as Bushi Road Fight Company. Uh, Hiroshi Ogawa is going to remain as the CEW in charge there at Stardom. They are going to have a 30-minute TV show on Thursdays on BSN TV and Tokyo MX. If you have an Amazon Fire Stick, I can tell you how to find BSN TV. I found it yesterday. I was very, very happy, which means I'll be able to watch a half hour show of stardom at five o'clock in the morning on Thursdays. Looking forward to that. Uh, TV Ashai is uh, still where New Japan resides. So there's NTV and then there's where New Japan is. Those are rival networks. So you are not going to see any of the stardom talent appearing on New Japan shows. This is not the addition of women to New Japan shows. This is the company that owns New Japan branching into the women's divisions. Uh, Stardom talent are going to be signed to full-time contracts which this is where things start to get hairy for AEW as well as the WWE. AEW has two of their feature talents under contract, uh, B. Priestley, as well as the AEW women's champion, Riho. They both do work for stardom. B. Priestley just recently, in the last couple of days, retained the red belt. Um, so she's still a champion over in stardom. There was a lot of people thought she might lose that title. Uh, afterwards, Mayu Iwatani came out to uh, challenge for that championship. Those of you who follow the Women of Honor probably know who Mayu is. Uh, Mayu is basically the ace of stardom ever since Io Shirai left. So it would not surprise me to see B. Priestley drop this title, wrap up in stardom, and Mayu is basically the face of stardom going into this Bushi Road deal. Uh, That is actually going to start full bore in January. So there's a couple of months here where they have a little bit of play to get everything set up for the marketing campaign just the way they want it and whatnot. This is also going to affect NXT UK talents like Tony Storm and and Piper Niven, who wrestles as Viper at Stardom. Um, So the effects of this thing are going to be felt all the way throughout the world of professional wrestling because I don't see WWE allowing their talents to work for stardom when they're owned by the same company as New Japan Pro Wrestling. So this is probably the end of that working agreement. And who knows what happens with AEW because the next thing we're going to talk about, Rick, is actually New Japan expanding into the United States. So it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for stardom and or New Japan Pro Wrestling to enter into a partnership with AEW at this point. Absolutely. And to kind of focus, remain focused here on the women aspect of this, uh, going back to a conversation I had last last week, uh, like the fuse, we were, you know, during the, the AEW review show, William Alicia, MSG, Matthew Jeffrey Gage and I were, were talking about women's wrestling and what the landscape is and you know the concern right now that the fans have for AEW is they're having seemingly having some trouble kickstarting that you know that division uh, it, it, it seems a little rushed it's it's shaky at best in the ring I, I'm you know, with you but there's one thing I do want to point out because I'm hearing everybody talking shit about Riho 
And because, you know, she's 98 pounds and she's five foot two, she shouldn't be the champion. Watch not necessarily Riho in the ring. Watch the fans and listen to the fans because the fans are getting behind Riho. They're fully buying into this white meat baby face undersized champion. And above anything that happens inside those ropes, that's the most important thing. People can tell me that this whole Joshi thing isn't working. I'm just not seeing it. Well, I, and I don't really actually just talk to the to that to her as a talent or what's going on there. I think it's a lot of creative. Uh, she's playing second fiddle to what's going on around her, and, and it becomes an afterthought. So it's hard to get invested and focus on her. Uh, but but our conversation we were talking about, and, and it really it applies to this here is you're talking about startup locking down individuals and taking them away. You know, taking them away from the playing field is we were talking about. You know. Is women's wrestling really working? Is it is as big of a draw, this attraction, this over-the-top excitement is is the industry heads would leave us, you know, would like us to to believe? Or you know, are they overselling this? And I brought up a point there is, you know, really when we talk about the top names in women's wrestling, they can absolutely go. I mean, there are some tremendous, tremendous athletes, great performers, personas. Whatever whatever your flavor is, they're, they're out there for you. But I question, and now even with bringing stardom into this thing, it, it, the issue is the, the, top, the, the top is there, but they're spread too thin. And there's not a lot of depth. There's not a lot of substance there. I mean, when you get down there, you got people locked down to, to WWE in four different brands for women's wrestling. You've got people that, you know, now are going exclusive with AEW. Women of Honor is trying to bring some individuals in there. Uh, obviously, you got great shows that do get a, that do share some things like, wow, Impact, where they're trying to get a little bit of exclusive on that bigger level where you're not going to see them crossing over. Hell, now you've got MLW has announced they're going to roll out their first women's match and, and begin a women's division. It, it's just that there's not enough of this high caliber talent to, to really occupy all of these divisions. And, and now, you know, kind of when we're talking about the stardom under the, um, you know, the parent company umbrella of New Japan, New Japan now has announced, it just broke this morning in their press conference, that they're coming to the States with their own, you know, just specific United States promotion with the craze in the West with women's wrestling. Could you see where they do incorporate some of these stardom people? Or whether you think they'll just stay true and stay out of that? I mean, anything is possible, but especially when you start getting into the TV networks, I think if you're going to see anything like from stardom on a new Japan show, it would be like Tokyo Dome. It would be King of Pro Wrestling. It would be Dominion. It would be the flagpole events. They might have a stardom well, match on the undercard. Not, but, but, you know, not as what we're not talking about, you know, just specifically. And I, I don't think that they'll you'll see them really cross over with new Japan, but now we got this, what new Japan America. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what they're going to do as far as women go, as far as new Japan of America, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, the other thing that that's interesting about stardom before we get into the new Japan aspect, uh, this is absolutely going to affect NXT Japan, uh, because it sounds as though NXT Japan is getting very, very close to becoming a reality. And, 
NXT wanted Pro Wrestling Noah. They didn't get him. Uh, and they wanted Stardom. And they were basically going to combine the two promotions to create NXT Japan. We know that they have been talking with Dragon Gate. There's a couple other promotions that I've heard mentioned inside of this thing. But it sounds like they're going to have to find a new partner as far as the women go. Not that there's any lack of women's promotions in Japan. I think there's about 30 of them. It's just stardom is kind of the the top of the, the food chain there. So there's plenty of talent for them to go find. But I can't help but wonder if this was just a strategic move on behalf of Bushi Road to make sure that stardom didn't sign with the WWE. Well, absolutely. And the timing here is really what set this thing off. Exactly. Uh, you know, if, if, if there really wasn't talk about uh, WWE's expansion wanting that, that NXT Japan, uh, I don't think that we'd even be sitting here talking about this at this point. Yep, completely. Uh, it, it's, it's all about this timing. Uh, and do you think, you know, in the sale itself, you're talking about, you know, if, if the parent company went in there just to cut off WWE, do you think there was even like conversation in there? Like, hey, sell to us, stay true to the culture. Don't let this invader, you know, this invading faction come in here. Uh, you got to believe that was in the conversation. Yeah. And it seems like the, the conversation is basically you guys keep doing everything exactly the same way that you're doing it. You're, we're even going to leave the person in charge still in charge of this thing. We're just going to put the Bushi road marketing machine behind you. And you got to believe, you know, if it would have went the other way, uh, you'd have some people looking for some jobs and they would be WWE be stripping that thing down. Oh, uh, selling what they, you know, selling what they could for parts yep. uh, and looking to rebuild. Funaki be running that shit. So let's talk about uh, New Japan and their big announcement from this morning. Rick, I sent you a message and I was like, um, New Japan's having a press conference at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I don't know what the fuck it's about. This thing completely caught me off guard. They have officially announced that they are launching New Japan of America. They're going to stay with the New Japan name simply because of the name recognition inside of the history of professional wrestling and a familiarity with the name base when you see that lion mark. Uh, Rick, this thing is going to launch, it sounds like, January 2020. So Bushi Road making some big moves both in the land of the rising sun and here in the red, white, and blue. They're looking to double their 2019 slate of events. That was 12 to 13 events in uh, 2019. So you're looking at about 26 events that, according to new CEO Takami Obari, he's going to be taking over the uh, New Japan of North America as well as the, the North American Dojo. Joe, even though Shibata is still going to be the head trainer there. They said they have had a three-phase plan already in works. Phase one, establish the U.S. dojo. Shibata has absolutely knocked that out of the park. Then it was running their joint shows like the Madison Square Garden show with Ring of Honor, running shows with CMLL. And then it became established a subsidiary in the United States to be a full established presentation in the market and engage with fans so rick we're going to get another promotion here in the states and we talked a little bit off air and you were like i'm kind of worried about this so am i well i i like you know where you put the emphasis another and we're just talking about the ladies is there enough to go around you have to ask the same question here on this top level you know we're in that those few top tiers how much is enough? Uh, I mean, how much can we take as consumers? And is there enough of us 
is our, you know, is this army, you know, the wrestling community, be it internet, casuals, whatever walk of life, is there enough to, to support all of this? And who is going to lose out? Who's going to go the wayside here? Uh, that's that's the number one concern. I have concerns myself for New Japan America. Can they, as you've laid out there, they had a plan. They've hit all those marks. They, they have kind of laid out where they wanted to go. They've had their roadmap. They've hit each destination, moving on to the next. Uh, but there are some things in there that, that do worry me that they'll be able to sustain a, a standalone promotion here in the States. A couple of things I do like about the way that this is being handled. They have a very, very specific target region. Actually, they have five of them. The West Coast, the Midwest, East Coast, the Southeast, and Texas. Just as as its own kind of territory is just Texas. Um, so I do like how focused they are on all this thing. It seems as though they already have the cities in mind in which they're going to be running. They're only going to be running 2000 seat venues, which I also think is very, very smart as opposed to trying to run what they did in Dallas. And you have a three quarters of the way empty building. Uh, the other thing that they do have going for them is the deal with access TV. They are going to be running this new Japan of America on access TV even if they run 26 shows it would make sense because they said the way that they want to format this thing is they're going to try to set up the initial tours opposite of the tours in Japan so like we have that little bit of a lull there in January between January and February after the dome it looks like that very well could be the kickoff to New Japan of America my fear is if you're sending Japanese talent over here for that tour that's a lot of wear and tear on these guys. Uh, absolutely. And, and you, you do have to appreciate, uh, you know, the strategy here. It, it, they, they, they have what they want to do. It's and they're very not focused. Just, they're not trying to just jump into the deep end and, and, you know, swim with the big boys here. It's going to be presented a little bit differently. And it, and it works, you know, if they're going to counter what their tours are in Japan, those big tours, it works perfectly because, it, it just happens to fall in when wrestling is at its hottest here in the States. And because it's it would, Royal Rumble season, WrestleMania season, every everybody is at an advantage during the road to WrestleMania. That's from WWE on down to the local indie, you know, down to hot tag wrestling. Everyone is going to benefit from it. And hopefully, as you said, you know, they know the cities. They think they know the markets where they're going to be able to draw their you know, less is more in those smaller venues. You're going to have a demand, hopefully, and you're bringing in some big names that, that's going to attract, uh, you know, your wrestling consumer. Uh, again, though, what does if we're talking about the potential for their success, and the more success they have means that someone isn't having that success. Who goes the wayside here? Is it an MLW? Is it an NWA? Is it Ring of Honor? I think it's clearly Ring of Honor because if New Japan is going to start running their own independent American promotion, what the hell does that do to the partnership with Ring of Honor? And that's one of the few things that Ring of Honor actually still has going for it right now. Like, what would we have had over the course of this summer if we didn't have the Gorillas? Well, I mean, I mean, that was the hottest, the hottest act inside of Ring of Honor is when uh, the champs came over here and what we had back and forth with them and the Briscoes. 
but I think a lot of people saw this, you know, it just wasn't, you know, us that were talking about it. Hell, you can almost turn it on any podcast. Anybody with any bit of sense was realizing coming out of MSG, that show absolutely belonged in New Japan. They were the draw. Uh, they did not need Ring of Honor anymore. And so many people fought, you know, immediately following that were questioning where does this leave Ring of Honor? New Japan obviously does not need them anymore. They don't need them as an end to the States. They don't need those talents to kind of intertwine with theirs so that we become familiarized with them. They out, they've outgrown that partnership a long time ago. So absolutely, at that top of that list, as we're talking about where does this leave others? What does this mean for their future? Ring of Honor is right there with a lot of questions. But to, but to support Ring of Honor... You know, it seems that Sinclair is firmly supporting them, and they realize what it is. It, it's just good, cheap, syndicated television that they can keep producing here. But we also know that there are talents currently under ROH contract that the reason they signed with Ring of Honor was to get an in in Japan. Guys like Jeff Cobb, guys like Bandito, that they, they're on the record as saying that was one of the big selling points for them coming to Ring of Honor was the ability to go work in Japan. If they can just work for New Japan in America and then, you know, be the representative during the G1, be the representative during the best of super juniors, I could absolutely see a lot of that talent going over to New Japan Pro Wrestling, especially the Mexican talent that has already developed that relationship through CMLL, like, you know, Titan. Well, I, I just, and let's look at this, you know, look at a situation here inside of Ring of Honor. We've got a lot of contracts getting set to expire. And you're talking about that already established relationship with New Japan. And as they start this new American venture uh, very easily, and you could absolutely see a handful uh, of these talents going right over to New Japan to establish themselves inside of this new promotion. This timing is not good for Ring of Honor. Hell, you know, one of the big names and has a tremendous relationship for years with with New Japan that could could be a tremendous face for these tours. Looking at one Marty Scroll. Yeah, Marty is one name that I actually did want to bring up. We know Marty's going to be the hottest free agent on the market here in about a month. You know, what would it mean to New Japan of America if you could build around the villain Marty Skrull? And that relationship is already in existence. You know, Marty could go to AEW and get lost in the mid-card doing comedy with Orange Cassidy. He could go to NXT. And yeah, maybe he starts off super hot. He has a feud with Adam Cole. Adam Cole, in the end, ends up putting him down. And then what happens with the villain Marty Skrull? Or... You could be the face of New Japan of America. I don't know, man. That's a that's a pretty good sell right there. Yeah, I think you know we're we're talking about you know a bit worried that that the dance cards you know really becoming overcrowded here. Hey, I'll tell you one person that's absolutely winning in pro wrestling, and that's the villain right now. As you said, he is going to be the absolute hottest free agent, the hottest thing out there on the market. And you can as you laid out there. I mean, there's. There's pros and cons to each one. Uh, he's going to have a lot. He's going to have a big decision, a lot on his plate, a big decision to make, you know, come here as, as we approach the, uh, the change in the calendar. So let's shift again. Let's talk about ECW. I mean, Impact Wrestling. Uh, Rick, it seems as though if we have the WWE and AEW is WCW, Impact Wrestling is fully embracing the idea of becoming the modern day ECW, all the way down to having Rob Van Dam turn heel on Rhino last night. Um, 
I guess before we jump into this card, we're only going to talk about the end of the card because I only saw the last three matches. Uh, I know you watched this entire show. What were kind of your overall thoughts on Bound for Glory last night? Well, I think as I'm not an avid viewer of of Impact Wrestling, you know, I get um, going back to I know they were on hiatus and all that, and they are returning here shortly. Uh, speculation is that the Impact Attack will be back. Uh, back in action coming up this week, I believe uh, scheduled to be on that if they are going to air this week is going to be the return of Joe Jan, which is a, another exciting announcement here for the Hami Media Group. And I think he's going to be joined by Ben is MSG is scheduled to regularly be a part of that program. But unfortunately, he's got some some work commitments that's going to keep him away. But uh, for, for me, I, I was I came in maybe with my expectations a little too high. Uh, I'm usually very pleased when, when I watch anything going on with Impact Wrestling, but uh, I thought this was going to be like the dawning of a new era. As we get ready for Access TV, this is kind of like their big reboot. We've seen this time and time from this company, and you get excited each time. But I thought this one was going to be really over the top, and it, it didn't hit me that way. It, it came that this was just a show to get through, and then when we get to television, that's when you will get the reboot. The first thing that really stood out to me about this show was the absence of Kevin Sullivan productions. Um, Rick, over the course of the weekend, I believe it was on Twitch, uh, Impact was on such hard times that they were shooting the show for Twitch on Josh Matthews' iPhone. Did you see that video? Absolutely. I, I picked up on that. I think it was someone had sent me the link to it. It might have been uh, William Alicia, but... Hey, but you can do some pretty amazing things with those iPhones. That's true. They did shoot a full movie on an iPhone. Um, I, I don't know what the hell the deal was, man. I don't know if it was the cameras that they were using, if it was the frame rate that it was set at, if the arena was just really lit that poorly. Um, I Charging 40 bucks for this show, and then you actually get to sit and watch this show, and I was just like, this, this is not a $40 show. If people want to complain about, you know, $50 AEW pay-per-views, okay, I can understand that. But then don't turn around and pay $40 for this. Like, this was embarrassing. Just the, the actual presentation of the show looked awful. Well, I was going to say, if they, you know, they want to be ECW, they absolutely were hitting the early ECW, like going back to Eastern Championship Wrestling uh, in their production quality from the early 90s. Do we just write this up to them losing their production company to AEW? Well, I mean, you know, going into this and that's another thing you know, that kind of struck me is why I didn't feel the over the top excitement. Is I thought they were going to roll everything out. Like we were going to see what this program is about. You know what this the future is here. You had time to get somebody else in place, uh, but it seems like this was hey, let's get through this show, uh, let's make what money we can out of this, and, and get to our new TV deal. Do, do you have any word who's hand? I mean, is is I there some help nothing. from the network coming in? I don't know. Uh, or or is this what we're going to get? I don't know. Um, it, I mean, we talked about this, you know, everybody was like, oh, AEW needs to get themselves some people that are used to shooting wrestling. Well, they did. It just happened to be impacts. And then everybody got pissed off about it. Uh, there's there's only so many people that specialize in shooting wrestling. And it's a little bit different environment than shooting basically anything else. I don't know if they're just trying to train people on the fly or what's going on here. So, I mean, it'd be something, to, you know, interesting to kind of dive into. I'll uh, get. Throughout the bat signal to Will there, 
uh, you know, maybe to, to figure out what's going on or, you know, some of the other great investigative minds that we know, uh, GorillaPosition.com, Last Word on Pro Wrestling, anybody out there, if you get us a scoop, you know, is this the presentation we're getting going forward? I mean, is, is that maybe the point? Everything else looks so over the top, so crisp that we, as you said, you make that comparison to ECW, we want to be kind of that raw and grainy feel to it. Yeah, and I mean, we had Don Callis dropping shit in commentary a couple of times. There were plenty of motherfuckers inside the ring. Uh, we are going to get the debut on Access this Tuesday night. Uh, they did have a big uh, six-man tag match that they filmed for the show, so that will be fresh and new. But otherwise, it sounds like it's going to be Bound for Glory Fallout. Um, and I'm assuming like maybe this is where Eddie Edwards like actually challenges Brian Cage for the Impact Championship because he won that battle royal. He can challenge for any title that he wants to. I guess it's possible he goes after Ace Austin in the in the X Division title, but he's a damn fool if he doesn't go after the Impact World title, right? Well, I think yeah. I mean, you always when you only get so many opportunities, right, to to claim that the top prize in your respective promotion. And you got to take that chance. One of the more surprising bookings on the show, Taya Valkyrie goes over to Neil Dashwood. I think there's a lot of people that thought Dashwood was going to win this thing. I've kind of heard behind the scenes that Dashwood was basically a short-term deal, almost like this was kind of an audition for Impact Wrestling, where she was only signed through Bound for Glory. Although a lot of people thought Taya might drop this belt because there's a lot of sounds of her going to NXT uh, along with her husband, John Hennigan, John Morrison, Johnny Impact, Johnny Mundo, Johnny SmackDown, Johnny NXT, whatever you want to call him. Uh, Rick, I'm hearing that the John Morrison deal is for NXT, not for SmackDown or Raw. Uh, that's that's what I had heard as well. And it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, he, he kind of fits that dynamic. They are in need of some star power there. So, you know, who's recognizable that you can bring back and get some throwback fans. He fits right into that mold. I mean, does he move the needle at all though? I think that's the big question overall about him, no matter where he goes. Tremendous hand, but is he moving that needle for you? I mean, you might get that initial pop, but I don't know if it's like you're not picking up your the phone and you know, I'm not calling Iowa Jarko turn on NXT right now. Holy shit. Oh my God. It's, it's John Morrison. It's Johnny NXT. Yeah. I, okay. That's cool. But again, this, yeah, and this was a surprise. And now that we know, you know, that Dashwood was maybe just brought in here to give a credible name uh, as a challenger for Bound for Glory. Uh, but to not see uh, some sort of switch in this match, it, it was surprising just outside of the rumors that we had heard. But again, that lends me to believe that this is, this was just a holding show, a holding pattern until we get to the television. Which is fucked up because Bound for Glory is supposed to be like their biggest show of the year, right? Well, they I think they backed off of that. Is uh, it Slammiversary now? Well, I think Callus has come out and said that they would like to focus more of Slammiversary as that, that big one. You know, their World Series, their Super Bowl of, of Impact Wrestling. And I always felt it should have been that way. I think Slammiversary has that, that more of that, that sweeter ring to it. I always, liked, I, I always preferred Bound for Glory, mostly because it was always in the fall. And it was always like just kind of this flat season right now, you know? I don't know. Just the, the name Bound for Glory to me, it sounds second rate. Like you're trying to achieve that next level where you should be presenting that you're already there. Now they're calling their pay-per-views fucking James Bond movies. 
Hard to kill the next Impact Wrestling pay-per-view. How ironic, eh? Um, let's talk about the big three matches on the show. Ace Austin captures the X Division Championship. Rick, this is where I tuned into the show. I, of course, was curious because of all the talk of Tessa Blanchard and winning the X Division Championship, and then Sammy Callahan goes over Brian Cage and becomes the Impact World Champion, and then Tessa cashes in option C and gets another shot at the Impact World Championship, gets another shot at Sammy Callahan. That's everything they've been building to for the last six months or so. Tessa gets up on the ladder. Ace Austin knocks her the fuck off and claims the X Division Championship. Good heat for Ace Austin, but you know, there's this term that Don Callis is kind of familiar with. It's called killing the town. And that's basically where I feel like they're at with Tessa at this point. Like we're teasing this thing so hard for so long that now people are just going to get to the point where we don't fucking care anymore. The moment has passed. And last night was absolutely that moment in Chicago. Absolutely. And it's one of those things that you have to be very careful with when this run with Tessa is going to jump the shark. And as you said, that might have been it there. Uh, like I said, for, for Ace Austin, tremendous heat, something that he, something that he really needed. It, it seems like there's been a disconnect with him, uh, with the general audience there, but, but was it worth sacrificing what you have with Tessa, how special that is. And, you know, the momentum behind her, as you said, eventually people just wear tire of it. And there's so much going on throughout the world of professional wrestling and that's, you know, if you really want the best of Tessa right now, it's not impact wrestling. You don't have to tune into that program. It's on. Wow. Yeah. Sad, but true. Uh, Moose defeats Ken Shamrock. Uh, Shamrock looked great. Um, and then the match started. Uh, I, I was not very happy with this match. I don't know if Shamrock hurt himself. It seemed like he was having a really hard time bending over towards the end of this match. Even uh, when he got Moose in those last couple of ankle locks, you notice that he was like just full on standing. And there was a couple of times that it looked like he was supposed to do a roll and he just kind of walked around instead. Um, Rick, what did you think of Ken Shamrock at 55 years old? I thought he looked great. I just, this match either went way too long or just plain shouldn't have happened. Now, I'm going to go with, you, you get the, you get the draw. You know, that's what this thing was. It was a spectacle. Uh, but it, yeah, it went on too long. You're talking 55 years old, showing, you know, signs of just wear and tear inside that ring. I'm just going to say, I'm pretty sure, you know, this month there's a lot of people in the same situation. They're going to be making a lot more money. I don't think Shamrock got anywhere near uh, what some people are going to be making from that blood money deal. Were you a Shamrock guy when he first came in? I guess it was really indifferent. It wasn't someone that really moved me, that I really got behind, but I, I never had any issues with him. I thought he was, was you know, very suitable for the position that he was in. Uh, he, he came in, he immediately would, you know, it, and you would think somebody like when Kurt Angle came in and they're going through the contract uh, conversations and all that, you know, Angle was very adamant about, well, I, I can't lose. These guys can't beat me. Right. You know, I, I'm an Olympic gold medalist, you know, and then you have on the flip there, you have guys like Triple H like, okay, yeah, but look at me, you know, I'm six, five, I, and two of you wide. This is the world of professional wrestling where people like me dominate. You know, you had those two counterparts and they had, it took some convincing. And you can go back and listen to Bruce Pritchard tell this story. He was the one that had to deal with it. He was directly in contact with, 
with Angle about this was they had to, you know, sell him on the idea of professional wrestling that he had to lose. And it seemed with Shamrock, he came in and embraced that. You know, he understood it. And he, he wanted to learn. He, he wanted to grow. I, I was really surprised that you didn't see more out of Shamrock. You know, I thought they, they really set his ceiling a little low. Uh, but I but I really liked his work. You know, there is opposing. And to me, it was you know, everybody when talks about DX and NWO and, and Stone Cold McMahon. You know, to me, one of the, you know, the greatest programs ever. Yeah, it was the Hart Foundation with the world against the United States. And Shamrock was one of those focal figures for Team USA. Shamrock is one of those guys that if they would have had a brand split when Shamrock came in, he probably would have been a world champion. But as it is, he had that like intercontinental ceiling on him, you know? And it seems too then, it really wasn't until Kurt Angle that they understood what to do with a crossover star. And I know Kurt didn't come from the, the world of MMA, but obviously with amateur wrestling. Uh, but with Shamrock there, Severn was in there. Uh, yeah, those two kind of came in at the same time. Well, and it, 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 there was a few other between like WCW and, and WWF, WWE at the time where we saw some of those crossovers from MMA. And it seems like the wrestling promotions maybe didn't necessarily know how to, to handle them. Uh, obviously, Severn had a tremendous run. They knew how to handle him with NWA. He just fell flat in the WWE. I don't know if it was just too late by the time Severn had gotten there. You know, well, yeah, I think with Severn, what you you just got down because he had that tremendous you know background coming in, he, great technician inside the ring, which fit the style of the NWA. Uh, but he was not sports entertainment in any way. Now Shamrock, on the other hand, he could he could really amp up the intensity, man. He, the veins would start popping. You know, he'd be oiled up to sweat. I mean, he looked like a million bucks. He, he was getting you fired up with him. Uh, but again, I think they just set that ceiling uh, a little low for him. Did, did he did he win any significant championships? You know, outside of like the hardcore or anything like just that. Inter- I think he had an intercontinental title run or two, but that was basically it. I'm pretty sure I remember him with the white intercontinental title. Okay then, I just just off the top of my head, I can't can't remember. Uh, does Moose benefit a whole lot from this showing? Because to me, it just seemed like Moose should have beaten Ken Shamrock way easier than he did. I mean, I understand that it's Ken Shamrock, but it's fifty five years old Ken Shamrock looking like you know Rocky at the end of Rocky Five, you know. And that's probably what you needed to do here, uh, but I don't think it hurts him in any way. Again, with this show, I, I don't think it really helped anybody. Yeah. Uh, your main event, Brian Cage defeats Sammy Callahan to retain the Impact World Championship. Uh, I thought there was a lot of garbage in this match that I just don't need in a world championship match like Wolverine Claws. Um, like even Cage coming out in the full Weapon X getup. It's like, dude, if, if you pile drive my wife and I'm coming to fight you, I'm not going to worry about what my entrance gear looks like. Hey, this goes back to this is Kofi throwing. Ben has talked about this regularly. Well, this goes back to what Ben talks about regularly with somebody like Cage. Uh, you're not going to tell him not to get his shit in, even if you're trying to explain, you know, some psychology to him. Even if Don hey. Callis literally says in the match, "This is not a GMSI match," <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, but he's absolutely going to get his shit in. And it took away from the the, the intensity of the moment and, and really just the overall match itself. 
And that was a Sammy Callahan crowd. That crowd was absolutely behind Sammy Callahan. And why would that be? Maybe because Sammy Callahan wrestles like every other weekend in freaking Chicago for AAW. He was one of the longest reigning AAW champions that they've had. Uh, And that's absolutely the same fan base that was at that show last night. Do you think that that threw them for a loop? Like, does Sammy Callahan go to Don Callis and be like, you do realize I'm going to be over as fuck? I think they probably have this conversation, but Cage does quite a bit of work in that area as well. Yeah, but I, I just don't think it's like Warrior Wrestling, I don't think is nearly as high profile as AAW. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they have to know that it's probably going to favor Sammy, but they probably, I don't know if they would expect it. The way that the way that it actually worked out. Yeah, that that was definitely a pro Sammy crowd last night. Um, what do you think of the the thumbtack spot, the pile driver into the thumbtacks kick out at one? I was like, Hamin's got to be pulling out his beard. Hey, and if the, if the impact attack is returning this week, hopefully it is, and I, I can't wait to to see or hear what Ben has to really say just about this thing top to bottom, but especially this spot right here. Uh, yeah, to me, it was one of those, okay, you know, at first when I'm seeing the setup, it's very Sammy. Uh, and then to see the kick out, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That, that doesn't, it, it just doesn't set right. Yep. Should have brought Legos instead of thumbtacks. Hurts way more. Let's uh, talk about uh, the Wednesday Night Wars. Week four is upon us. And Rick, I think all of these wrestling companies are relying on us far too much to do our homework, relying on social media here. Even we're now five, six weeks into NXT, and I still don't know who hardly any of these people are. We're not getting any kind of promos. We're not getting any kind of vignettes. Nobody knows who any of these people are if you're not already watching the show. And AEW did the same damn thing last week. They they put up this killer Darby Allen promo on YouTube where he's talking about how Chris Jericho needs to be humbled. It's a two-minute promo. And they didn't have time to squeeze that into the show. Like that promo was the only reason I gave a shit about this match. It absolutely sold the match. I wanted to see Darby Allen versus Chris Jericho, even though I knew full damn well Darby Allen wasn't going to win that match. I wanted to see it. I wanted to see Darby Allen humble Chris Jericho. And then they don't even show it on the fucking show. Uh, exactly where they missed here. And going back, you know, even. When they had, you know, the road twos and they were introducing some of these talents, uh, the first piece that they did on Darby Allen to explain, you know, what and what and where he came from, what he is and where he came from, why the why the face is painted, that he is half dead inside. It represents, you know, this just terrible life that he's had to endure to get to this point here and what it means to him to succeed inside of professional wrestling. You know, where was that before? Where was this piece that you're talking about here that specifically just focuses on this match? And it's not like they were they're running short on time. There was a handful of these matches that could have been cut short. Uh, going back here, I think the the tag tournament match that everyone's kind of you know the great debate this week uh, the involving Marco Stunt. Uh, you know, that match could have been, I think it was just a little over seven minutes. You could have gone around five minutes with that match and been just as effective to you know, to illustrate, you know, that what you can do with Marco and have the Lucha Brothers looking incredibly strong with, you know, how violent they are. Personally, I mean, I'm I'm fine with the match lengths on the show. 
I, I understand that it's too long for some people, and maybe it's just because I'm a New Japan fan, so I'm used to matches that go 37 minutes, you know, so 20 minutes of, of a tag match is absolutely nothing to me. Just cut one of the matches, you know, if suddenly you've got 10 to 12 minutes worth of fucking promo time on the show, give John Moxley a live mic, you know, run the Darby Allen video package, you know, like that Cody video package was great. They're getting a whole lot of shit for it, but let's face it. Cody is challenging for the AEW world championship in just a couple of weeks at full gear, but whoa, instead, whoa, what, what shit are they getting for this? Because it was, focused because it was Cody. Cody. Because it was Cody. Oh, so this is just Cody putting himself over. No, fuck you. This is Cody challenging for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship in a couple of weeks as the second or maybe third biggest star inside of the company. So they're going to build up Cody. That makes sense to me. But instead of just running that video, also give me the Darby Allen video. Instead of just showing the Moxley thing in a split screen while he's coming to the ring, just show me the goddamn Moxley promo. What What's going on with Sean Spears and Tully Blanchard. Haven't heard a damn thing in weeks. I still know absolutely nothing about Kenny Omega if I've never seen him before I turned on AEW Dynamite. I don't know how in the hell I'm supposed to feel about Moxley. MJF, who fucking knows what's going on with that kid? Like, there's all these stories they could be telling, and if it's just you don't have enough time on the show, Make time on the show. Just run one less match. You can do these video packages in two goddamn minutes. Just do them. I understand you want to be different than the WWE, but you have to develop the characters because people aren't going to go watch Being the Elite. They're not going to go watch The Road 2. They're not going to go watch AEW Dark. I don't want to do fucking homework to watch a goddamn television show. Well, absolutely. You're saying they don't want to be WWE. Well, wouldn't that mean actually developing characters, you know, getting us where we're emotionally invested? And, and it's I'm the same sorry, thing in NXT. NXT isn't doing a damn thing to develop anybody as a character either. Well, they're trying to run, go out there, and just, you know, rely on that athleticism that you know what NXT is about. This is not the case. You're into an entire new pool of viewers here. And you have to you have to get this talent over with this larger audience. And they're absolutely missing it on this thing. Hey, I'm sorry. Anybody that has any issue with it, and I guess I, maybe I've just been blind to it, uh, it's taking issue that Cody was the focal point of that video. Get the fuck over yourself here. Uh, he is challenging for the championship. He's had a tremendous run in the company. This isn't Cody the VP. This is Cody the number one contender. That thing moved the hell out of me. That was one of the better pieces that I've seen within professional wrestling on television in over a year. I need more of that on the show. Absolutely. You know, it, even if you did something, and I know going back here with, with Marco, they had to go on the fly. You know, that injury hit them late in the day there with Luchasaurus. It, that match would have been much different. You know, maybe they did have that time slot set there. They said, okay, we got to stick to our times here. That's the reason it went that long. I don't have, as you brought up, you know, I don't have an issue with matches going long as long as I can get into them. Uh, I just would stunt kicking out of some of those things from arguably the best tag team in the world that's dominated around the globe. That's what threw me for a loop. But, you know, maybe it's because they had to go on the fly there. You know, that match would have looked very much different with, with Luchasaurus in there. And they were kind of put into a position. But you're talking about, you know, and now the great debate, you know, does Marco Stone have a 
Should he be in there? Should he even be on television? Does he have a spot in professional wrestling? We debate that all we want. But, you know, you you give me a package like that with Cody and really let me know where he's coming from. I think you're going to you're going to sway a lot of individuals into hey, everybody loves that ultimate underdog. I mean, everybody loves the movie Rudy. Hey, at least you could put it in a favorable light. Yeah. As long as Marco Stunt wins like one match a year, I'm totally fine with Marco Stunt having a spot on the roster. I just don't think he should be going out there and kicking out of package pile drivers and shit from Pentagon Jr. That's just absolutely absurd. Let's go ahead. Let's take a look at what we're going to have going on this week on NXT. Huckleberry, last week we had Keith Lee versus Dominic Dickhead, and Roderick Strong thought that he would come out and interfere in the match and, and cause a disqualification uh, because that way neither one of the guys would qualify for the NXT North American Championship. Evidently, Roderick Strong has never watched any professional wrestling ever. This just made Roderick Strong look like a fucking moron when William Regal comes out and says, well, congratulations, Roddy. Now you get to face both of these guys next week for your championship. And I, I just thought, what a fucking idiot. Well, I, not just him. Uh, wouldn't anyone in Undisputed Era speak up and be like, I mean, it just looks, makes the group look stupid. Uh, but absolutely love the fire from William Regal, though. I mean, he absolutely brought it during during his promo here. But you're you're right. It's, you're sitting there just looking at basic. This isn't pro wrestling in itself. This is basic storytelling. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever watched any movie, read a book, any kind of fictional thing with, with a plot, you saw this coming. I mean, how freaking stupid are you? But now I am hearing that potentially one-third of this matchup is going to be out. Keith Lee injured in that matchup with Dominic Dickhead. Last time they faced off, it was Dominic Dickhead getting injured. This time it's Keith Lee. They can't have a match without actually hurting one another. So I don't know if Keith Lee is going to be cleared for this match. It might just be Dominic Dickhead versus Roderick Strong for the NXT North American Championship. The other match that they are advertising for NXT this week is kind of a de facto number one contender match for Shayna Baszler and the NXT Women's Championship. It's going to be Bianca Belair taking on Rhea Ripley. I can't wait to see this match, but Rick, there's going to be another one of these stupid moments coming because now Io Shirai also says it's not going to be Bianca. It's not going to be Rhea. If anybody's going to beat Shayna Baszler, it's going to be Io Shirai. What are the odds that Io comes out and interferes in this match and it leads to a triple threat number one contenders match? Uh, I'm right there with you. That's what I was kind of expecting uh, I was even kind of wondering if we get it on, on the fly and we end up with two triple threats on this show. Like, can they get away with this paint by numbers shit? Well, I've, and the question is if they're going to try it for how long? Yeah, that's, that's kind of my fear, you know? I mean, I understand, like, this is the most basic of basic pro wrestling. I, I don't know. Are we trying to re-educate the audience about how, how this is supposed to work or what? Because, like, can I advance to, like, you know, the middle school class already? I, I kind of know how this shit works. Because right now we're, we're, we're talking Quinn's age. Went to a parent-teacher conference today. That kid already knows 37 letters. Uppercase and lowercase. 37? After, like, what, a month of school? Fucking crazy. Let's talk about AEW Dynamite. SCU is going to take on the Dark Order. That is a semifinal matchup in the tag team tournament. Rick, 30, how many letters are there? 
Like 26? Yeah, how does she know 37? It's the upper and lower case. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, you said that. SEU versus the Dark Order in the AEW Tag Team Tournament semifinals. Uh, Rick, the world found out what we have known for the better part of two years. Scorpio Sky is the fucking man. Scorpio Sky got his ass over last week on AEW Dynamite. Absolutely stole the show. Christopher Daniels can't be happy about that, can he? Well, I think, you know, to, to step into this, this into this position, I think this is the perfect way to do it. Because uh, you have the expectations of the addiction. They're going to take care of business in this thing. Oh, what happens? We got to go on the fly. Scorpio is ready to go. I mean, he's out there in his jeans, his gym shoes. He's, he's flying out of his shoes. Uh, but, yeah, this was one of the, the absolute highlights. Hell, the highlight of AEW this week. And I think, you know, Jim Ross sums this thing up perfectly. A star was born for a, a larger audience. But for those of us that have known for a long, long time, uh, he is a, a great veteran of this industry. Uh, I remember going back when I got first turned on this Scorpio Sky, going back to Wrestling Society X. And I was just absolutely blown away, just wowed uh, by how incredible he was then. He, he just knew uh, at some point greatness awaited him. And he, you got to believe on this platform that AEW is going to give him that opportunity. The best, the best, the best Scorpio Sky. That's when I fell in love with Scorpio Sky. Championship wrestling from Hollywood. I absolutely love that gimmick. I would love to see him turn heel again and just start telling everybody that he's the best, the best, the best. Just absolutely fucking great. But, but going back to your original point there, I I, I am a bit worried that, and the, hey, we were even asking this when they were trying to decide who was going to represent is this going to drive a wedge between SEO? And I, I certainly hope not. Not so early in this AEW run. This, These guys are a draw for you. They're going to move merchandise. They're cool. People love them. Uh, keep SCU together. Please, AEW, keep these guys together. The other thing I don't like about it is they've been forecasting for weeks now that the finals of this thing are going to end up being the Lucha Brothers versus SCU. Lucha Brothers take down Private Party in their half of the semifinals. Tag tournament finals are going to be October 30th. Well, I guess I'm just presuming that the Lucha Bros are going to take down Private Party. That's going to happen gonna this say, week. We haven't seen that. Yeah, that, that's this so week. You got I, a spoiler? I, I, no, I'm just presuming. Like, I, I feel like this is a foregone conclusion that it's going to be SCU and the Lucha Bros in the finals, you know, just the, the way that well, they've set this whole thing up. We were talking, you know, last last week on Light the Fuse, uh, MSG and Will were both a little disappointed that we didn't see retaliation later in the evening from SCU going back after the Lucha Bros for, for that attack. fine with that. Fine with that because they were checking on their friend Christopher Daniels. They they were far too busy to go and screw with the Lucha Bros last week. Maybe this week I could see them coming out and costing them this matchup against Private Party. And, and I had kind of mentioned that, and you know, and they had pointed out I missed this on commentary that they said Daniels was up and moving. I thought maybe he was taken to a, a medical facility, so SCU had left. But yeah, I still with you. You know, they're in the back. They're they're checking on Daniels. Uh, even because he's up and walking doesn't mean they're probably still looking at a concussion. That is a, a wicked boy that he took. So it, playing into the narrative. Severe stinger about, in his neck. You know, they're worried about their boy. Well, and we're also talking about three intelligent veterans of this business. Uh, they might have known, hey, the Lucha Bros, they're out there. They're a little cocky, but they, they're going to be looking over their shoulder for us right now. 
let's play the waiting game. Let's give it a week. Let's wait till, you know, Daniels is back full strength and we'll play this numbers game. We got them three on two. If it gets into, you know, just a vicious attack on one another, a street fight situation, we've got numbers. Let's, let's give them a week to let them think. Let this thing fester. You're talking about, we're all assuming that this is going to be the finals, what we're getting here. I would love to see SU come out and cost them this match, give private party that, that invitation to the finals. Uh, on the flip, though, I don't know. I wouldn't want to see Dark Order and private party in these finals. I still think you got to go SCU to the finals. Yeah, I agree. Especially if Dark Order would win that matchup against SCU, though. I absolutely expect SCU interference in the Lucha Bros versus Private Party matchup. Tag finals are going to be on October 30th. The other big match that we are going to get on AEW Dynamite this week, and Rick, this has got to be the matchup of the week. It's going to be Pac taking on your boy. John Moxley. Last week, we saw him flip him the double bird before Moxley was like, fuck you, I'm out. This week, we're going to see these two, uh, the former Adrian Neville face off with the former Dean Ambrose. I'm looking forward to this matchup, but I need like 90 second promos from both of these guys explaining to me why they want to kick the shit out of each other. Uh, absolutely. And in, in, within these promos, and Mox did a little bit of it there last week. You need to let this general audience know how these guys have evolved, that they're not what you've seen on other programs, that since leaving there, that they have been on – each have been on this path of destruction to reinvent themselves, reestablish themselves, that these are very dangerous individuals that we're dealing with inside of AEW, and why, are there, why is there a resentment between the two? It, why do they want to rip into one another? It, it, ultimately, it comes down to that alpha dog kind of mentality – uh, you know, you need, hey, it's one of those things, you know, you knock out the biggest bitch in the yard, right, uh, to, so that you can take control. And when it comes to that that violent style of just pure dominance, these two are right there, and there can only be one top dog. Two bastards just ain't going to get along, you know. That's, that's how I'd frame it. Let's uh, throw it over to your Monday Night Raw preview. Huckleberry, tonight, Seth Rollins is going to come out and stand in the ring with a microphone. And he is going to explain to everyone why he burnt down the Firefly Funhouse. This is no shit being advertised on WWE.com. Rick, the only thing that makes any kind of logical sense to me, because I've been trying to figure this thing out, and you and I have had this conversation off air, I think this has to be the protagonist's journey to becoming the villain. You know, it, it, it's the a Harvey Two-Face thing from Batman, right? You know, you, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I think that's where we got to be with this Fiend thing. The Fiend was never after the WWE Championship, the Universal Championship. This was all about getting Seth Rollins to let him in. This is all about Seth Rollins embracing his inner Fiend And I think that's what the hell happened at the end of Hell in a Cell between what happened at Hell in a Cell and him burning down the Firefly Funhouse. This has to be a heel turn from Seth Rollins. Like this dude is done as a babyface. You have to flip this into a double turn. Uh, Absolutely. And, And it's been a disaster. I mean, Seth has been off the rails pretty much since winning the championship. The Fiend won. 
By Seth yeah. Rollins going as far as he did at Hell in a Cell, the Fiend has won. That has to be the story here. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it was that was what it was. It was a breaking point. And so many people were just so focused on, oh, you, you have a stoppage in Hell in a Cell. I mean, that was the point. That they were going to such extremes that the referee had no choice because he, there was something so evil within Seth Rollins that even, you know, the devil's playground had to be shut down because it was that's how intense it was with Seth Rollins. That's what they were shooting for. Unfortunately, it just completely missed the mark. But well, the problem yeah. is, I, and I'm sure that the way that this was pitched to Vince McMahon was, listen, Vince, there's this new movie coming out about the Joker. And they're going to tell the Joker's origin story, right? And, and, and it's going to be this this great, huge, you know, monolithic event in film history. It's it's going to be great, Vince. Everybody's buzzing about it. And Vince heard Joker, and he thought Cesar Romero, and went to the 1960s Batman and tried to make this thing just as campy as he possibly could, thinking that oh, Joker, yeah, the Latino guy with the mustache. All right, if Seth Rollins steals a submarine this week on Raw, you're 100% right. It's a bat submarine. A bat submarine. Hey, they had that missile, too. I watched uh, one of the old Batman episodes the other day. He had a bat oxygen mask. Like, no shit. Uh, you know, another thing here is why can't Bray Wyatt have nice things? Every house he has gets burnt down inside WWE. Well, my biggest issue with this entire storyline at this point was Bray Wyatt during this whole thing when he's like, Seth, why are you doing this to me? You know full damn well why he's doing this to you. We have established that you know you are the fiend. We have left the Jekyll and Hyde thing, and now you're the Incredible Hulk. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. That's where we're at with the fiend character. You can't go back to Jekyll and Hyde and pretend like you don't know that you are the fiend and that you did all this shit to Seth Rollins. Like, that's the biggest disconnect I have with this whole storyline right now. What if, what if this whole thing is, like, actually has been created by by Matt Hardy and it's this is all just happening inside of Rollins head this is like a fight club scenario where Rollins is actually the fiend well see and that was my other thing too like I always thought the Firefly Funhouse just existed in Bray's mind Right. And it was just somehow we were getting to see this. It was it was completely outside of the narrative. Seth Rollins just like goes over like I'm, I'm supposed to believe that Bray Wyatt and Aleister Black are fucking neighbors. They live in the same goddamn neighborhood. Aleister's waiting for somebody to knock on his fucking door. And Seth Rollins goes over to Bray's house and burns the son of a bitch down. Stay the fuck out of that neighborhood. God damn, hanging out with Randy Orton and shit. Next thing you know, I know that Seth Rollins is going to want to shake hands with Aleister Black. Don't do it, Aleister. Don't do it. Playing with his wee-wee. I should have, more I think about that, I, I would be okay with like a fight club scenario here where this whole thing was just happening in someone's head and somehow we're just seeing it happen. I just hope it's not happening in my head because if this is fucking real, somebody wake me the fuck up. This is all sorts of fucked up. Speaking of fucked up, let's talk about Nature Boy Ric Flair. <laughs> Likes to get fucked up and do fucked up shit. Ric Flair to name his final member of Team Flair tonight for Blood Money 4. Huckleberry, you got any guesses? Who is going to be on Team Nate? I haven't given it much time. I've seen so many people out there talking about Sting. 
uh, I look at that lineup and it was Sting and a bunch of heels. You know, what, what is this? The main event mafia? Well, they probably think that Sting's a heel because he didn't come to the WWE like a decade sooner. So that makes him a bad guy. <sighs> who do you think? Who, who are we getting here? Anybody from the past or? Man, I don't, I don't know. know. Could, uh, could, could potential uh, son-in-law boy, could Andrade be put on there? Oh, yeah, that would make sense. I mean, Orton, King Fuckface, Shinsuke Nakamura, Bobby Lashley. That's what we've got right now. Hogan's got Roman, Rusev, Shorty G, Ali, and Ricochet. I don't know, Drew McIntyre maybe? If he's cleared. Uh, he's dealing with some kind of nagging injury that doesn't sound serious, but it is going to have him on the shelf. Uh, not exactly sure if he'd be cleared, but yeah, I, I could really see Andrade, you know, kind of getting into that spot there. That's that's a good pick. We'll go with that. We're going with CN to be on Team Flair. Uh, Huckleberry. Also tonight, we've got another big surprise. It's going to be the OC, just Gallows and Anderson with AJ Styles in their corner. They're going to take on the Street Profits and. A mystery guest. What are the chances that this two-on-two match becomes a three-on-three? I would say pretty good. Huckleberry, who do you got as the mystery partner or the man in the corner of the Street Profits? Can you dig it, sucker? I'm going to go with Booker T. Damn it! That's who I was going to go with. I think Booker T would be the perfect manager for the Street Profits. Well, just to get that interaction, give him a rub, and then, you know, you can put over the uh, backstage show, you know, as he's, you know, when he gets his spots in there, pop the crowd a little, you know, you mentioned the Street Profits in there with the spinner, you know, right there with the spinner Rooney. I, I know he's retired it, but hey, bring it out one more time. Pop this crowd. I think it, it, it would be huge for the Profits there. Huge for conversation around Monday Night Raw. Not so good for the OC. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, the, the poor OC. You got to sacrifice somebody sometimes. And- I'm terrified it's going to be uh, Ricky. You know, if if Ricky is going to start hanging out with the Street Profits, it's just a matter of time until he becomes like Ricky G or Little Rick. Yeah. Or I mean, he could, uh, he, that could be his heel turn. And uh, he steals steal the, the crown. crown. <laughs> We are on the same page today, Huckleberry. Uh, speaking of Andrade, Andrade has a huge match tonight, Rick. It is the return of Sin Cara. Sin Cara makes his long-awaited return to Monday Night Raw tonight. I cannot freaking wait for Andrade to squash this little fucker. Hey, let's, let's not forget, you know, going back probably the last time that we saw anything from Sin Cara, it was a, a rather heated program between these two they went out there and had some great matches some hard hitting we saw a much more aggressive Sin Cara so this you know this might actually be one of the highlights of the show this tonight it probably will be uh it also wouldn't surprise me if this is for that last spot on team flair the Saudi prince is going to be like Andrade's winning this fucking match I ain't letting that mass motherfucker come over here and and you know too backstage they're going to do something to try to pop themselves Tying in the Andrade and the Flair thing, even like you know when we got last week, when uh, yeah. Vago, you know, she was, she the what was it the uh, the horse the four horse faces, mm-hmm. and she looked right over and she's like, sorry about that, you know, getting that little inside little 
you know, that pop for the, the boys in the back or whatever. Oh, it's edgy. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of edgy, Rey Mysterio is going to appear on Monday Night Raw tonight. And Rick, I, I, this stood out to me as I was reading through the preview. They are now calling Rey Mysterio the ultimate underdog. Uh, doesn't that seem like it should be reserved for like Shorty G? I mean, not a former world heavyweight champion. Well, and it's, it's, you know, you pointed out earlier, not the guy that is actually one of your few true mega stars, uh, someone who is respected around the globe, who is wowed and dominated around the globe, who's found great success in everywhere, you know, every promotion that he's been involved with. In New Japan Pro Wrestling, they treat him like a fucking god and a fucking legend. In the WWE, he's the ultimate underdog. Yeah. Awful. Just awful. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit the other platform that you're not listening to us on, whether that be the HTM Podcast Network online at hittingthemarks.com or Hameen Media, hackerhameen.podbean.com. Make sure that you visit our friends over at thegorillaposition.com as they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. Visit our friends over at Last Word on Pro Wrestling for the latest developments in the entire world of pro wrestling. Huckleberry, anything that you want to plug before we get out of the locker room and out of this week's show? Well, of course, you can keep up with uh, me, Rick Vickery, across all social media platforms at The Real RBV. Uh, and oh, yeah, coming up this week, we're on the countdown to Danny B's live pro wrestling from Danny B's Lounge, Southern Ohio, more specifically, my hometown of Harrison, Ohio. It's hot tag wrestling from podcaster to play by play to promoter. Get this off my bucket list, man. Uh, I tell you what, I'm excited, thrilled. The show is just days away. We are moving tickets. It's going to be an over-the-top, exciting atmosphere. I've been calling it the Wild West of pro wrestling. Uh, it's going to give you, it's going to take you back. We're bringing the attitude back. It's going to be kind of like a, a little ECW, but more shotgun Saturday night. Some great over-the-top characters, some great in-ring action. Some of the big names we got from Major League Wrestling, Casey Lennox. She's going to be in our main event. She's going to be squaring off against one of Ohio's absolute best. Uh, and I wanted to lock her up for the show because I don't think within six months she's going to be available. We're talking about all these big contracts with these ladies' companies. She's going to be scooped up. That is Jocelyn Navarro. Hey, we've also got Hey, if you were watching any Impact Wrestling this past week, Saturday night on Twitch specifically, legendary Larry D. He's going to be in our semi-main event. He's going to be taking on another local great talent in Ricky Cardinal. Uh, we've got these crazy moonshining bastards, the Eds, they're on the show. We've got a, an over-the-top bar brawl. And oh yeah, we've locked them down. They're going to be there. We've got the midgets. The midgets are going to be in action. That's what everybody is hyped about. Uh, but again, that is Saturday, October 26th, live pro wrestling at Danny B's Lounge. Hot tag wrestling. If you're in the area, if you want to travel on in to get your hands on some tickets, as I said, you can reach out to me on any social media at The Real RBV or give me a text or call 513-227-6504. Special shout out to our sponsors this month, Lethal Vendetta, as well as a couple of our sponsors from previous months. I'm going to be on RatSaladReview.com. That show is going to be dropping on Wednesday. And then, Huckleberry, we've got a little bit of an issue. 
They let the nerds into the locker room. The Voices of Misery podcast has made its way to Hami Media. So now, now we've got to put up with the nerd and the nerdette in our ear holes invading hackerhameen.podbean.com. I'm coming for you fucking nerds. Hey, before we get out of here, uh, it went down this weekend, correct? Uh, tremendous news from, from Billy Ray Valentine and, and Crow 777. Uh, I know they had great success selling out their program. Uh, you want you want to talk about opening people's minds. Uh, those guys definitely there, just absolute brilliance all around. Did, did, how did you hear anything from the show yet? I know there was quite a few uh, of our, I mean, media group brethren and sisters, whatever, there checking it out, but I haven't heard any feedback yet. I, I haven't talked to uh, anybody as of yet. Of course, you know, Billy Ray Valentine, he had that speaking engagement at Harvard today, so, so he's a little bit busy. Uh, Crow Triple Seven, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's on his way to, to UCLA to go speak out there and pollute their minds. You know, maybe I can get a word with the professor AOC. He can give me some kind of an update on how things went down. You know, assuming that he can get his head out of Vince McMahon's. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. We'll talk to you later on this week for HTM Sports as well as an all-new episode of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Search Hitting the Marks on your favorite podcast listening device. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Label me. Don't give up. You bad guy!